Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. If you would, find in your copy of Scripture two places, one in Matthew chapter 4 and one in John chapter 1. Matthew 4 and John 1. So if you could turn to Matthew, maybe put your finger there, and then turn to John 1 and hold that there as well. The last four weeks, we have worked through... Uh, a sermon series entitled Advent from Each Gospel. And, and I'll be honest with you, I didn't, really, and I didn't really know how fruitful that would be for me spiritually until I worked through that series. One of the most beautiful aspects about each of the Gospels is how they are unique in the way that they describe Jesus' ministry, Jesus' person, and the ultimate purpose of Him coming into the world and dying on a cross to save us from our sins. And it was beneficial for me to work through and look at each gospel from the perspective of the Advent story. And as I was reading through those accounts in Matthew chapters 1 through 3 and 4, and in Mark chapter 1, and in Luke chapters 1 and 2 specifically, but continue to read on in chapter 3 and 4, and then read in John chapter 1, one thing struck me that I don't know that I really noticed without reading the Gospels in that way. What struck me is this. At the very beginning of Jesus' ministry... He did something that he didn't need to do in order to accomplish his mission. If we think back to the Advent for a second, Jesus came to be born as a baby in human flesh. But we talked last week, he came to be born as a baby because he was going to die on a cross. The gospel accounts, as one writer has put it, are extended introductions to passion narratives. Meaning that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when you really get at why they're there, they're there to tell us that the last week of Jesus' life was spent being questioned, being targeted, eventually being arrested, being beaten, ultimately hanging on a cross, and gloriously three days after being hung on a cross... He was raised from the dead. And each of the gospel writers draws our attention from the very outset of their gospel account to that purpose of Jesus dying on the cross. So Jesus' purpose in coming is that He would be our Savior. And I want to tell you something. He didn't need any help to accomplish that. I I guess to a degree, He invited Mary to participate in that process, right? Because that was who was going to birth Him into the world and invited Joseph. But in terms of Jesus needing anybody, folks, He was perfect. He he was absolutely, is absolutely all-sufficient, can accomplish anything that He wants to accomplish on His own. He is the sovereign King of the universe, the one who saves, the one who redeems. He is good at saving people. He is capable of doing anything. He needed not any one person to accomplish His mission of salvation. Except for the fact that in John 1 and in Mark 1, And in Matthew chapter 4 and in Luke chapter 5, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, right after he preached his first sermon, he did something that should stagger us and encourage us. You know what he did? He invited people to follow him. At the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, not way down the road, not after he had established his ministry, not right before he went to the cross, at the very beginning... 
He looked out at fishermen and tax collectors. He looked out at zealots. He looked out at different individuals, one who would turn his back on him and Judas. And he invited them to follow him. I want us to take just a moment as we finish out 2021 and think about 2022. And I want us to look at the Advent stories, or at least the initial pages, stories of the gospel accounts. From this perspective, what is the mission of Advent? The mission is that Jesus invited people to follow him. You can read all of those texts. I would encourage you to do so. We're only going to read two of them. We're going to read Matthew's account, and we're going to read part of John's account in the invitation of Jesus to his followers. And Matthew 4 reads this, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, that is Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. And in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So Jesus looked out at the sea. He saw fishermen. He invited four of those fishermen to hang up their nets, to put up their fishing boats, and to follow him in ministry. In John chapter 1, if you will, pick up in verse 35. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. By the way, this is the day after John introduced Jesus as the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. It's the day after Jesus baptized. Jesus was baptized. It's the day after his public declaration into ministry. Jesus was standing there. John was standing there with his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by. So Jesus and John were in the same place where John was doing some preaching and ministry and baptizing. And Jesus showed up and John said, said this, behold the Lamb of God. John pointed out Jesus' ministry, pointed out Jesus to his disciples standing there. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they did what? They followed Jesus. They left John and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter." Now, we could go on and read on in John chapter 1 and see Jesus called a Philip and Nathaniel. And if you're careful reading those texts and look at Mark's account and look at Luke's account, you might wonder, well, hold on a second. Those are different stories. What is it about, why did John write it differently than Matthew? Well, there's no reason at all that it couldn't have happened both ways. That it couldn't have been two different specific interactions with Jesus and Peter and Andrew and James and John. Where there was initial, an initial meeting and Jesus calling and an initial invitation. It's absolutely within the realm of reality. Especially when you consider this fact. In, in personal evangelism, as I share the gospel with people, one of the things I try to encourage uh, believers who share the gospel with others is to know this. It takes on average about seven times hearing the good news of Jesus, specifically in a sermon or a conversation, before someone gives their life over to Jesus Christ. 
It wouldn't be surprising at all for Peter to have met Jesus or heard about Jesus and then for Peter to become a follower of Jesus on a specifically different day. But that's really not what I want us to focus our time on. What I want us to focus our time on are four specific invitations that struck me as I read these four different accounts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four invitations that are given to us about Jesus. They're one word, so it should be easy for you to write down and follow along in your worship guide and easy for you to remember. The first one is this. Look. When John was standing there and his disciples were standing there and Jesus walked by, the word is behold. John said, behold, look at Jesus. It's an interjection. It it basically is one of those things where we would say, look, there's something that you need to see. And John said, with his disciples standing there, look, there is someone that you need to see. The invitation to follow Jesus begins with someone pointing out Jesus. I'm amazed at the number of people I've talked to in my life who whether they live in the Bible Belt or don't, or don't, don't really know a lot about Jesus. I've been amazed on mission trips that people, some people in other parts of the world have never heard anything at all about Jesus. It should blow our minds. It should stagger us. It should frighten us that there are billions of people on planet earth that have never heard the name of Jesus In the book of Acts, Luke put it this way. He said, there is no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved but the name of Jesus. And John, in this interaction, invited his followers, his disciples, to look at Jesus. The very starting point for faith. The very starting point for following Jesus with our lives and with our heart, with our mission, is to see Jesus You know, that's one of the reasons we gather together as a body of believers for worship. We gather as a body of believers because we're here on what day? Well, it's Wednesday, but you're at home on on Sunday watching this. We gather on the Lord's Day, on Sunday. Why? Because Jesus rose on Sunday. What are we here for? We're here to sing about Jesus. And we're here to pray through Jesus to the Heavenly Father. And we're here to talk about Jesus. And we're here to point out Jesus in our ministries and in our communication and in our songs. Why? Because everything in our lives as followers of Christ, as Christians, should be about Jesus. And a lot of times, here's what happens. Even as Christians, we get caught up looking at everything else. We look at the news, and we look at things that we've put in place of Jesus that are idols, and and we look at images, and we look at friends, and we look at family, and we look at worries, and we look at frustrations. Folks, the starting point, and the greatest thing that you and I can do as followers of Jesus, in terms of the beginning point for us being a follower, is to just simply... Take another look at Jesus. Look at him as the one who didn't need followers, yet invited followers. Look at him as the one who we just sang about. He covers us with his grace. Remember, in John 1, he's full of grace and truth. He's the one that covers our sin. Look at him as the one who offers us 
Eternal life in a relationship with the Heavenly Father. Look at Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you're ambivalent toward the good news of Jesus. Maybe you're watching at home and you're just not sure. Maybe you've had a faith experience or you had a church experience or maybe you haven't had any experience whatsoever and you don't know anything about this Christianity thing. You're not sure. Here's what I would invite you to do. I would invite you to open up the pages of Scripture, the Gospel of John, and take a look at the person that John describes. Jesus is someone that is unique. Jesus is someone that is worth looking at. Jesus is someone that is worth giving our lives over to. If you're not sure, don't just try Jesus out. Take a look at what the Bible says about Jesus. See if he's different. And if he's different, then there may be something else that needs to happen. You might need to consider doing more than just looking at Jesus. It gets us to our second point. But let me pause for just a second before I get to the second point. Christian, let me say something to you for a second. One of the things that you and I need to not neglect in our spiritual walk is the opportunity to consider Jesus more regularly and more faithfully than we do. This whole book is about Jesus. If you're here today and you're not reading the Bible on a regular basis, you're not seeing Jesus nearly enough in your life. You want to deal with some worries and anxieties and fears and frustrations? We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. But you want to deal with that? Then you need to open up and see Jesus in the pages of Scripture. If you don't have a daily Bible reading plan, let me commend to you that as 2022 begins, it's January the 2nd, you missed one day. Go back and catch up yesterday, read today. Pick a Bible reading plan and say, which one do you pick? Well, if you have a smartphone, you can get the ESV Bible app and they have all kinds of reading plans, Bible reading plans. My favorite reading plan that I've been using for about 12 or 14 years is the McShane, Robert Murray McShane reading plan where you read through the Old Testament once in a year and the New Testament and Psalms twice in a year. And it is just so fruitful for me to reread and reread and reread the pages of Scripture. Just the other morning in my devotions, I was reading in the book of 2 Chronicles, and I read about judgment and how God was judging the people of Judah for their sinfulness and wickedness. And then I read in the book of Zechariah how God was continuing to judge the people of Judah for their sinfulness and wickedness. And then I read in the book of Revelation chapter 19 where Jesus is coming back on a white horse and He is coming back as King and as Judge of all the wickedness that permeates all the nations. And it's an encouraging picture for us as followers of Christ. But 2 Chronicles was judgment, Zechariah was judgment, Revelation was judgment. And I also read in John chapter 18... Where Jesus stood before Pilate and invited him to discover truth. And in other words, John 18 is the, is the preface chapter to John chapter 19. Where Jesus took our judgment. In other words, he made a way possible for us to be cleansed and forgiven. And let me encourage you. All of the Bible is about Jesus. Luke chapter 24. He says that all the Bible is about him. Read the pages of scripture and look to Jesus. John invited his followers to behold Jesus. That's invitation number one. Invitation number two is very simple. Meet Jesus. Jesus turned and said to Peter and Andrew and James and John, come. He said to those disciples, Andrew and the other one that was there, 
who were following Jesus, he looked at them and said, well, who are you, what are you doing? Where are you, where are you going? They said, well, Rabbi, we'd like, to, we'd like to see where you're staying. And you know what Jesus said? Come. Come with me. Come with me where I am. Jesus invited these men to come and just be with him. It is great that we get a chance to look at Jesus. I know a lot of people, a lot of people that have looked at Jesus. I've talked with people over the years who have been a part of Baptist churches and Methodist churches and Catholic churches. I've talked with people who've been a part of Presbyterian churches. I've talked to people who have not been a part of a church at all. And many of them could tell me some things about Jesus. They could tell me uh, that he was born and that's why we celebrate Christmas. And some of them can even say that he died and that's really important for us. But a lot of those people who could tell me something about Jesus, they've seen Jesus in maybe an image like we have in our stained glass or maybe a picture or maybe a movie, but they've never really met Jesus. Do you realize what a privilege it is that the Lord of the universe invites us not just to see Him, but to know Him, to meet Him? John put it this way, this is eternal life, John 17, 3, that they may know you, God, Heavenly Father, and the one whom you have sent, Jesus Christ. That's one of the reasons Jesus came in human flesh. He came so that we might know him, talk to him, relate to him, and him relate to us. Christian, if you're here in the room and you're not talking to God through Jesus Christ on a daily basis, let me just tell you, You're missing out on one of the greatest privileges that has ever been in all of human creation. We might think that it is a great privilege to see one of the seven wonders of the world, the Grand Canyon, or, and if you've seen that, you know, fantastic, or or see Washington, D.C., or see sites, and, and some of us like to travel. Some of us have thought of the privilege of being a parent or being a grandparent. What a privilege, right? The God of the universe, the creator of all things, the one who spoke everything into existence, invited these disciples to meet him, to know him, to talk with him, to walk with him. And Christian follower of Jesus, in prayer and in God's word, Jesus invites us to meet with him. I had a professor one time who told me that the way he prayed was that he sat down in his study with a chair right there and he sat down here and he imagined Jesus in that chair and his prayer life was like a conversation between him and Jesus who he believed was present in the room. He is present in the room. He's present with us if we're followers of Christ. Let me invite you, Christian, on a regular basis to meet with Jesus. I've heard some people tell me over the years that they love Jesus. Do you know where we primarily get the opportunity to meet with Jesus? We get that opportunity around God's people, around the people that he's died to save. And I'm not trying to like convict you or make you feel guilty that that you're not in, in the presence of God's people in a worship service. But you know what? One of the places where I get a chance to hear from Jesus and meet with Jesus and learn about Jesus is when I hear... The body of believers sing songs about Jesus and to Jesus. 
And I can listen behind me or turn around and look. And I know you believe what you're singing because you're singing it like you believe what you're singing it. That you believe what you're singing. And I can hear your stories when you talk to me about what God is doing in your life. And that happens in the gathered body of believers. Not only at the gathered worship in church services... But that is a very significant place where we as followers of Christ can meet with Jesus. Certainly in our personal devotions and our private walk with God. But in the corporate gathered body of believers is a place where we can meet together. And meet with Jesus and learn from Him. Jesus invited these followers to come and just get to know Him. Maybe you're in the room and again, you're ambivalent or maybe it's your home watching. You're not sure about this whole Jesus thing. I'm telling you, he's inviting you not just to see him. He wants you to hear what he says about you and hear what he says about me and here's what he says about himself. He wants to know you and he wants you to know him. Jesus is inviting you to meet him. Let me ask you a question. Have you met Jesus? Have you had a moment in your life where you didn't just look at him and take consideration in who he was, but where you met him? Where you received him as your Lord and Savior? Where you were willing to say, I believe in what he did and I want him to be a part of my life. And I want to be a part of his family. Have you met Jesus? Christian, are you meeting with Jesus regularly? I know many of you have calendars. And as you think of 2022, you're already filling up your January and February. You're putting appointments on the calendar. Maybe it's doctor's appointments. Maybe it's business appointments. Maybe it's appointments with grandkids. Maybe you don't need to put those appointments on your calendar because there's no way you're going to forget an appointment with a grandkid. I don't know. But your calendar's filling up. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a time where you meet with Jesus on a regular basis? What a privilege if, if you do or if you don't. Have you met with Jesus? Look, meet, and I want you to grasp this next invitation that Jesus makes. He says, follow. Follow me. He invites those two disciples, Andrew and another disciple, to follow him. Andrew goes to get Peter and, and introduces, says, hey, this is the Messiah. This is the one we've been looking for. In the Matthew version, in the Mark version, also in the Luke version, Jesus goes to the, uh, the, the sea and Peter and Andrew are fishing and John and, and James are fishing and Jesus walks up in, in the Luke version. He walks up and he tells them to throw their nets in on the other side and Jesus and Peter says, Matthew, or G, Master, it's your word. I'll do that. But we fished all night and hadn't caught any fish. And, and there's this interaction that goes on. And they pull in a huge haul of fish. And Peter acknowledges his sinfulness. And Jesus looks at Peter. And he looks at him in all those instances and says, follow me. Follow me. The invitation is to follow. Jesus doesn't just want us to see him. And he doesn't just want us to meet him. And talk with him and interact with him. Jesus is inviting us to follow him. And and here's the thing that I've noticed in my ministry over the years. There are a lot of Christians that are really good with the look at Jesus part. They want to see Jesus and all his greatness. They want to sing love songs to Jesus. They want to talk to Jesus. They're good with that. They're sometimes good or, or maybe they've had that moment where they met Jesus. 
They met Jesus. That, that was fine. That was good for them. They could date you or they could go back and say, hey, at such and such a time in my history, a junior high student, a child, a teenager, an adult, I met Jesus. I went forward at a, at a vacation Bible school. I talked about Jesus with my Sunday school teacher. My pastor led me to Jesus. They have looked at Jesus. They have met Jesus. But they're not following Jesus. Jesus never stopped with that invitation to Peter and Andrew and James and John and the other disciples that he called. He said, follow me. And if you catch the implication in all of those texts, specifically in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the way they describe it, they left their nets and they followed Jesus. They were willing to leave something behind to let their lives be determined by this master and Messiah that they were going to follow. Let me, let me uh, illustrate it this way. Many of us in the room are members uh, of different organizations. Some of us are, are members at, at, at a thing like being with the Rotary. And, and we help and we serve other people in, in some kind of fashion. Some, some folks are, are members at... Um, I, I don't know, members of Gideon's International. We've got some Gideons in our group, and, and, and they serve in that capacity. And then there are others of us that are members uh, of golf courses, country club memberships. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with being a member of an organization. There's nothing wrong with being a member at a country club. Nothing wrong whatsoever. Uh, more power to you if you like losing golf balls. And I hope you can find as many as you lose. Nothing wrong with that. But here's the caution for us as Christians. Country club Christianity is not Christianity. Here's what I mean by that. If you're a member of an organization, you pay your dues. And because you pay your dues, you pretty much do what you want to. You go play golf or you don't go play golf. You go to a swimming pool or you don't go to a swimming pool. You go and join a, an organization or you don't go and join an organization. And if it becomes inconvenient in your life, you let it go. And no harm, no foul. Nothing wrong with that. That is a part of human existence. Let me say this very clearly. That is not biblical Christianity. Jesus does not invite us on a give it or take it basis. He invites us to follow Him. And I'm going to tell you this. If He invites us to follow Him, it's going to mean that we're going to leave something behind. There's no way around it. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to leave an idol behind. He might ask you, as he did with some people in the New Testament, take all your stuff, sell it, and give it to the poor. He might ask you, like he did with Peter, James, and John, and, this, and Andrew, hey, uh, leave your nets. Come follow me. It's time. Your fishing days are done. This is no longer going to be your method of employment. You're going to give your life to follow me. You know what they did? They left their nets behind and they followed Jesus. Non-Christian in the room, let me say this. I want you to know Jesus. I want you to know Jesus died on a cross so that your sins can be forgiven. You can be cleansed from unrighteousness. You can experience peace and joy and hope through a relationship with Jesus Christ. But when you accept the invitation to trust Jesus as your Savior, you are admitting that you're willing to follow Him as your Lord. 
Jesus does not invite us to receive some kind of hell insurance that then we can give or take, do whatever we want to with the rest of our existence. Jesus, when he invites us, he invites us to look, to meet, and to follow. And if there are things that you're holding on to in your life, if there are things you're not letting go of that are in the way of you following Jesus, Jesus will not let you hold on to those things and be comfortable and at peace holding on to those things if they keep you from following Him. Follow. And then let me get to the last invitation that Jesus makes. Lead. Jesus looked at Peter and he said, Follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. A fisher of men. In other words, Jesus said to Peter and to Andrew and to James and to John, Your fishing days are done. I want you to follow me. And I'm giving you a new job. A new assignment. I want you to lead other people to follow me. Let me say this as clearly as I know how. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, trusted Jesus to be your Savior. You love Him. He saved you. He's forgiven you of your sins. The only way that we can be adequate, faithful followers of Christ is if we take up the responsibility to lead others to be followers of Jesus Christ. There is no such thing as a real disciple who is not also a disciple maker. Following Jesus includes leading others to follow Jesus. It's never been otherwise. It was never otherwise in the New Testament. And here's the reality. If you and I try to think that it's otherwise, that I can get by, I can read my Bible, I can pray, I can go to church, but I don't have to lead anybody else to follow Jesus, we've missed the whole point. Why did Jesus invite followers at the outset of his ministry? He did not need Peter, James, and John to go to the cross. Really didn't need them at all. You know what Jesus did? He was preparing them For the day when he was no longer going to be physically on planet earth. And they were going to be the ones that would take the story of his death, burial, and resurrection. To people who were lost and without God. To people who did not know Jesus. To people who did not know forgiveness. Jesus invited them. And put, through, put up with them through a lot of failure and unbelief. And putting their foot, feet in their mouth. And folly and faithlessness. He put up with all of that. So that when he left planet earth. They would be ready to take the message to others. Let me make this real practical. Some of you are here today and you're like. How in the world do I lead other people to know Jesus? I am scared to death to talk to him about salvation. How do I do that? How do I make disciples? Uh, Let me start with a very simple thing that you can do. I believe without any doubt that if you know Jesus and you follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there's somebody in your life that God specifically wants you to reach with the gospel. I, I wholeheartedly believe that. I, and it is, it has amazed me over the last several years in my own life How God has orchestrated events good and bad. Events that were devastating in somebody's life. Or events that were interesting in somebody's life. How he orchestrated those events so that that person could hear the gospel at that moment, at that circumstance in life, so that they could trust Jesus and receive salvation and eternal life. 
God sovereignly wants people to be saved. He wants to forgive people who are lost. He wants to redeem people who are broken. He wants to. And folks, He's given us Jesus and given us the message of the gospel because He has divinely orchestrated you to be where you are in your family, in your job, in your place of leisure activities. He has divinely put you in those places. Because he wants you to reach somebody with the good news of Jesus. And for you, I don't know who that person is in your life. Or those people are in your life. I don't know. But God knows. So here's the first thing I want you to do. I want you at the invitation today to pray and ask God, who is it that he wants on your heart for you to pray for to receive salvation? Who is it he wants on your heart for you to pray for to receive salvation? Maybe you're here and you already know that. I know that in my life. I know the people that God has put on my heart to pray for. And I am looking for and and trying to create opportunities to continue to talk with them about the gospel. I want you to do that. I want that person to be on your heart as you move into 22. Pray that God would save that person. Maybe through our ministry at church. Maybe through your direct conversation with them. Pray that God will save that person in 2022. Or maybe more than that person in 2022. And then I want you to pray one more thing. And this is only a prayer if you really mean it. Pray that you'll be willing to go wherever God might send you to see people come to know Him as Lord and Savior. Listen, God doesn't just want the followers of Jesus in his church to be comfortable. Sometimes he calls us to do things that are absolutely uncomfortable because he has a plan to save that we can only dream of. In the 1960s, a young teenage boy by the name of Bruce Olson was growing up in a church, in a family, in a church in, in Minnesota. Church where he was going to, uh, went through, he went through confirmation, but he never really met Jesus. And he was troubled. He was convicted. He was unsure. And finally, a friend of his introduced him to Jesus. He he told him about his own salvation story. And so he invited Bruce to a church where he heard the gospel. And Bruce came home and started reading the Bible. And he put his faith and trust in Jesus as a teenage boy. And he talked to his mom and dad about Jesus. And he talked to his brothers about Jesus. And you know what they told him? They told him to be quiet and to shut up. They didn't want to hear anything about his Jesus interest. And his family pretty much pushed him away as a teenager. Bruce decided he was going to go to university and he was going to study to be a doctor. And God wouldn't let go of his heart. In a conversation or in a a church service with a missionary who was talking about um, uh, jungle tribes in the nation of Venezuela, God pricked the heart of Bruce Olson and told Bruce Olson, Bruce, I want you to go be a missionary to the jungle tribes of Venezuela. And he tried to get away from it. He tried to do other things. And God wouldn't let it go. So at 19 years old, with $70 in his pocket, and not the backing of a mission organization... Bruce Olson got on a plane from the United States and flew to Venezuela, expecting to meet a missionary when he landed. Missionary never showed up. He wandered Venezuela. 
Not entirely sure even now how he survived and made it other than God's providential protection and provision on a number of occasions. Eventually, he got to a tribe of Indians and he went into the woods. They didn't like him. They weren't interested in seeing him. He met with them. He had a really bad experience with them. But he learned enough to know that this is what he believed God wanted him to do. Eventually... He came back out of the jungle and he got to talking with an oil company. An oil company that wanted to explore a particular region of the Venezuelan jungles because they wanted to make sure that there was oil there. They wanted to tap it for oil. The problem was every time they sent in an oil person, that oil person never came back because the tribe of Indians was very territorial. They were the Motiloni tribe of Indians. And Bruce said, I believe that's where I'm supposed to go to help these Indians, ultimately to help them know about Jesus. So this guy said, well, we'll fly you in. So they flew him in, dropped him off. He ended up finding a tribe of Indians that wanted to kill him. First interaction with him, he was shot in the leg with a bow and arrow, almost left to die. Under God's providential grace, eventually he made a friendship and a connection and he was accepted into that tribe of Indians. He lived like them. He learned their language. No, no language training. Listen, he learned their language just by interactions with them. Learned their language, talked with them, visited with them. Over a period of five years, he got to know them. He was frustrated by them. They were frustrated by him. He learned to live like them. But none of them had come to faith in Jesus Christ. Over that period of five years, he heard legends and he heard stories. They told him that there was a period of time in their tribal history where they had God, but they followed somebody else who told them about getting to God a different way and they had been deceived and they weren't sure at all about how to find God. On one particular walk through the woods, he and a friend of his, uh, an Indian he named Bobby, uh, were walking through the woods and they came upon an Indian who was digging a hole and an Indian who had climbed in a tree, a Motiloni Indian. The Indian who was in the hole was looking for God in the hole and the Indian in the tree was looking for God across the horizon. And Bruce was trying to figure out what they were doing and how they were getting there and how they were trying to get to God. And they went on to tell him this particular legend. They said, we have in our stories, in our ancient stories, that there was going to be someone with yellow hair open to us a banana stalk and tell us about God. Now, Bruce Olson had blonde hair. And Bruce asked the question, What's a banana stalk? How in the world are you going to know about God from a banana stalk? And the Motiloni Indian took his machete and cut open a banana stalk. And it opened up like the pages of a book. And Bruce Olson had a spark of divine inspiration. And he said, I'm that traveler who came to tell you and I've got the book. And he opened up his Bible. And in that moment, he told those Indians about Jesus Christ. He continued to talk with them about Jesus Christ. He continued to talk with them about the one who came to walk with them and lead them in the path of everlasting life. And his Indian friend, Bobby, put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. 
committed his life to follow Jesus. And then a few weeks after he had committed his life to follow Jesus, he sat in a room with a whole community of Motiloni Indians and sang the gospel for 14 hours. And in Motiloni tradition, when you sing a song, there's another person who sings the song after you, and then everybody in the tribal room sings it alongside of you. For 14 hours, Bobby sang the gospel. And at that point, the Motiloni tribe, almost to a person, put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Eventually, what would happen years later is those Motiloni Indians would almost to every single tribe of Motiloni Indians put their faith in Jesus Christ, would send out missionaries to other tribes that would hear the good news of Jesus Christ and would send out pastors and send others to be trained for the gospel so that other tribal Indians in Venezuela and Colombia could come to faith in Jesus. All because one 19-year-old kid was gripped by the heart of God to follow Jesus and lead others to follow Jesus. Who is it that God wants you to lead to follow him? Maybe a family member. Maybe a grandchild. Maybe a neighbor. Maybe a co-worker. For some of us, it may be a tribe of Indians all the way across the world. It may be Afghanistan refugees It may be an unreached people group in another part of the world that we have never heard of to this point in human history or in our history. God has divinely invited us to look to Jesus, to meet Jesus, to follow Jesus so that we can lead others to the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. We give the invitation. I'm going to ask you to pray and ask God who it is He wants you to share him with this year. And I'm going to ask you to ask God, is there anything that's holding you back from following Jesus? I can't think of any better way to enter into 2022 than us as followers of Christ recommitting our lives to lead others to follow Jesus. Stand with me if you will. Lord God, Thank you for those people in my life that told me about Christ. Thank you for moms and for dads and for preachers who were faithful to the gospel. Thank you for a church that loved me. Thank you for Sunday school teachers that taught me. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for raising up Peter and James and John and all the witnesses throughout human history that have continued to proclaim the message of Christ that proclaimed the message of Christ, that proclaimed the message of Christ, that invited people to look and meet you and follow you. And Lord God, we're here today, forgiven, redeemed, cleansed, in a relationship with the God of the universe because someone led someone, led someone to follow Christ. Father, I know that you have divinely appointed people in our lives that you want us to lead to follow you. Show us who they are. Grip our hearts for those souls. Lead us to our knees to pray for them. Open our mouths so that they'll hear the gospel from our lips. Open their eyes so that they'll see Jesus and meet Jesus and follow Jesus. And Lord God, help us as your church, Wilkesboro Baptist Church, 
to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow you more faithfully in 2022 than we have ever done before. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.